Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight, in danger of losing his irregular status and moving up to a line regiment, is Bruce Garrick. Bruce, thanks for being here. Yeah, hello gamers! <laughs> and taking a break from his E3 preparations is Troy Goodfellow. Troy, glad you could find the time for the show this week. I'm always happy to be here. Our guest tonight is designer Ralph Tricky from the Toad team, and he's here to help us discuss our topic tonight the Operational Art of War series, and how it continues to evolve after more than a decade since the series' debut. Ralph, thanks for coming. Glad to be on. Thanks for inviting me. I'll just get this out of the way. I, will, I confess myself a huge fan of the, oper- the Operational Art of War series. It's come up a little bit on the show before. Uh, I assume we all have a lengthy history with it. What's the general attitude here on uh, the Operational Art of War? What, what do you guys think of the series? Oi, um... It's a game that does a few things very, very well and interestingly, and a game that uh, still, I mean, the, the patches and improvements and updates have helped some, really struggles with some concepts, and I think a lot of it comes down to a lot of the core design decisions that Koger put uh, in the initial design, which I'm sure we'll talk about in some detail. So it's a game that I admire a lot, but I can only play certain types of scenarios and really feel like I'm having fun. Yeah, that's actually a really good, uh, uh, really good uh, summary of how I feel too. And I think Troy touches on a couple things that we'll be coming back to in the podcast. Uh, I think that uh, I mean, I really, I remember when the game first came out. Um, I had uh, some problems with sort of the design philosophy of trying to simulate everything and then see how that goes. Um, I've had changed a little bit over the years, but uh, I still think that. Um, there's a lot to uh, lot lot left to be desired in that design philosophy. That said, I agree with Troy. I think the game does uh, does some things really really well, and uh, it's that it's 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 um, sort of ambition to be everything that kind of shoots it down. Uh, and there are things that it really doesn't do well at all. And um, I think we'll be talking about those uh, for the next hour. <laughs> uh, so so Ralph. Uh... Why don't you share a little bit of your history with the series? Are you are you a longtime vet? Were you were you there back when it launched? Um, I, I've played it since volume one. That was the first one I played. So I've I've played different versions for a long time. About about five years ago by now, I was actually beta testing a program for Matrix Games and volunteered to to help program that game because it seemed to be going a lot slower than I wanted to wanted it to. And approached David Heath, and he said, "Well, we can't do that, but instead we've got this other game that you can uh, take over if you want to." And that happened to be Operational Art of War. So I, I took that and ran with it ever since, and it's been a lot of fun. So before you kind of took the helm of updating it, you know, what was your what was your initial impression of the series, and uh, you know, what what did you think of it as it went through its various iterations over the years? I, I like it. For me, for me, it hits a real sweet spot. Or it's it's big enough so you're not worrying about the individual troop combat and that that level of combat, but it doesn't get mogged out, bogged down into all the um, the the strategic games and the the level of detail and presentation issues you have with them. Is the Operational Art of War a game as much as it is a tool set? Because one of the things that really set this game apart when it launched is it was designed to sort of you know, you, you know, if you could imagine the scenario, theoretically, you could you could construct it. Um, so, I mean, there, you know, the game changes so much from scenario to scenario, uh, era to era, depending on you know where that you know what era that scenario is set in. 
yeah, there are, there are a lot of times where it feels like I'm playing, you know, nearly a different game, uh, depending on the scenario. And what holds it together is the tools used to build these build these scenarios. What do you guys think of that? I don't think the game's a tool set. I mean, it's a game. I mean, you play it. I mean, if it were a tool set, then you would never play a game. You would just make things and then <sighs> release them into the wild. Um, well, I, I don't think I was yeah. saying that. Um, I'm pretty sure that, you know, yes, once you once you build a scenario with those tools, then you've got a game. But a big part of it was the, the variety of things you could construct with the with the editing tools. Well, that it wasn't really unique. I mean, because, I mean, Koger's games before that were the war game construction set things. Mm-hmm. Uh, war 1, 2, and 3, which culminated in Age of Rifles, um, which were all about, you know... Once again, the idea was you could make your own war game. Once you had all the units in place, you understood what their weapons were. Um, this is something that Koger was pushing for a long time uh, through the war game construction sets. And I think that Operational Art of War is sort of the culmination of that. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it is a tool set, but it's a tool set in the way that, you know, any good war game with an editor is a tool set. Uh, the difference was um, that you really you know, really, all you really need is an order of battle, and you could do it. I mean, that's pretty much all there was to it. Um, and of course, the more detail you knew, you could, and the scalability of it, because we haven't really mentioned this, but the central conceit of Operational Art of War was every unit's power was determined by the equipment it had. So you would add up, you know, fighting power of infantry with certain types of weapons plus jeeps plus trucks plus horses plus cannons and you'd add that up with some sort of combat factor um so if you could make up a unit you could make up the compact factor c- combat factor or if you knew what the differences between divisions and corps uh, all the way along the front and who had what you could come up with the idea was some sort of plausible uh fightable scenario uh which was a brilliant leap in logic uh, in some ways. Leaving um, some things in and some things out. Uh, it's really a tribute to his faith in science and math, I think, more than anything else. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is what Koger had been doing for years. Now, the idea that uh, Operation Art of War is anything unique in the Koger line really isn't, because he was all about, you know, letting people construct their own war games. This was something he was big on from the 80s. Yeah, but here's the thing. Okay, I, I, I have my whole thoughts about this game and 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 opinions are really extremely philosophical. So I don't know how much use I'm going to be, but um, I really want to get on Troy's comment there that uh, this is a this is his uh, uh, Koger's faith in math and science. I think it's, that's a fundamental misunderstanding of both math and science and faith. <laughs> uh, so there's three things. All right. Because I, I really, really disagree with this whole concept that you can simply quanti- quantify things and then put them in some sort of you know giant funnel, and, which goes into some scrambler, and then it, you get results out. And I think it it over it overestimates, or it just misunderstands how systems work. And I, I think that uh, one of the you know you can compare this to you know people who make computer models of biological systems and you have to understand that when you do that you're making an assumption that you you don't you 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 not only know how all the elements work that you're quantifying but you're assuming that there are no other elements that have some effect that you don't know anything about right 
And this happens over and over when we, you know, discover a new protein or some kind of uh, biological mechanism where we think something does something and it does something different because there's an there's an element that we don't know about. And I, I don't I have some uh, some examples from biology, but it's it's probably beyond the scope of the discussion and probably not going to be interesting to the to the listeners. But the point is. You can't just assume that you know how everything contributes to a system and also assume that there's nothing else in that system about which you don't know. And so that's the first problem with the way the game works. The second problem with the way the game works, and it's a more of a philosophical uh, complaint on my part, is that it sort of reduces game design to looking things up in, in archives, right? So if you know that, the you know third right. shock army had this many tanks and this many guys and this many this kind of gun then you know everything that that third shock army could do in any situation as long as you have you know you you factor in your your you have a you, you know you probably have a separate system for terrain and weather and whatever which i think takes all the fun out of game design um so there there are a whole bunch of things that i don't like about this approach to gaming the thing that i do like about this approach to gaming is that i can pull up uh a uh, scenario about uh, Operation Barbarossa. I can pull up a scenario about um, uh, 1914 in World War One, and I can pull up what like I just did before we uh, before we started the podcast a, a scenario about a hypothetical Soviet invasion of China, right? And those are all situations that if you wanted somebody to design a game specifically on them, you'd be waiting for a long time. But with a tool set, you can just create it and see how it works but I think that 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 sort of does de devalues designers to some extent uh, and often you get results that are not uh, that don't really they're, they're not consistent with what I think uh, uh, a better design game could be so given all that I think that uh, you know I was playing the game and you know there there are scenarios that are interesting to play uh, some are that are not interesting to play and I think you really have to choose those scenarios carefully based on the strengths and weaknesses of, of the game. Yeah, I'm hoping later we can talk about some of the user-made scenarios, but I want to throw this over to Ralph and ask him, you know, you got into this game and you designed it. From a designer perspective, the programming perspective, um, you know, what do you decide to touch, what do you decide not to touch? Um, did you see any fundamental problems with Koger's core concepts? And what did you like, what did you not like as a programmer? Because, of course, you couldn't, you know, be make Operation Art of War something that it wasn't. Yeah, I, I actually like, unlike Bruce, I actually like the, the way it works and the way you take smaller things and build them up into bigger things, and and um, that's just a fundamental disagreement we have, I think. I mean, to me, it actually frees designers from having to make up details and, and are able then to concentrate more on how they want the scenario to play and what they want it to do. Uh, the big weaknesses I saw... Or the the interface, frankly, is is a 20th century interface. I mean, it was it's based on his old work with the DOS, and it's 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 fairly primitive, and it 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 needed a lot of love. Also, the original intelligence we we call Elmer uh, was very very poor, and that that really I think limited what you could do with the scenarios. Those are probably the two biggest things that I've worked on. 
you know, I mean, I think a lot of strategy gamers and war gamers have a, a bit of a mild fixation on AI. Uh, what was what was wrong with the uh, you know the the original AI in the operation in the earlier operational out of wars, and what have you done since then to bring it up to scratch? Like, what what sort of behaviors have you had to correct? Uh, the the biggest one is it looks like right before publishing one version of it from comments in the code, Norm saw that that it was basically based on points if the if the unit took a certain point, then Elmer would react. And I, I modified that, made his code work, and got everything to working so that instead it actually has a basic understanding at, at the unit level about fronts and unit movements and, and the round system and, and a lot of things like that, which was basically lacking. But But the biggest one was the fact that it reacted to when you took a certain point, then the AI reacted, which absolutely makes it very predictable and makes it play very, very poorly. So how, how did you change that? Um, now it actually, instead of points, it actually understands the radius around the point mm-hmm. and whether or not you're being flanked, um, whether or not an objective is being flanked. Okay. And it should not go, not, not, not advance too far to the point where it can be flanked itself. I mean, there's, there's obviously more work that could be done, but I tried to make it understand when it was being flanked and uh, either draw back or not advance as fast when it was being flanked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the early AI was very easy to encircle. Um, there were a lot of problems with the AI um, in Volume 1 and Volume 2, and some of them were related to problems with you know the code and how to understand air warfare, for example. The AI had always been very poor at air warfare. Um, didn't understand even naval, didn't understand naval warfare. It's not like, you know, Operational Art of War is some great advanced naval sim. It's just a bunch of boats you move around and beat each other with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and the AI was very, very bad at that. Uh, but yeah, it's the biggest problem is it was so easy to encircle. Um, and I'm glad that you've taken some steps to fix that because it, uh, made a lot of the scenario, you know, not a lot of fun. Yeah, I don't know if you had a chance to play the tutorial one, Korea. But the AI is way more aggressive and a lot harder now than it used to be. No, I, did, I didn't play Korea. I dived right into uh, the old Aerocor scenario, which I think goes all the way back to uh, the, fir- the first game, is the first, the first scenario in the first game. And uh, I, definitely had, I definitely was able to sort of get around the, you know, get around the German flank, uh, but I, w- I was impressed how quickly the AI sort of reversed its advance when I had armored units appear deep in its rear. Uh, the AI really kind of aggressively uh, counterattacked and tried to re- you know s- secure its secure its victory locations. Where I think previously the AI was a little prone to sitting happily in a pocket, uh, waiting to be rolled over, basically. Yeah, I and mean, then it, it should be a lot more aggressive and a lot better. I mean, it's still the, the biggest problem is that it's um, by formation and not by it, it doesn't understand the whole strategic board. But very few war games understand. I mean, that's the whole that's the yeah. whole problem with most most uh, war games, most computer war games, is that they're very tactically they're very good. They know how to allocate forces to to achieve some objective, but they don't really know how that objective fits into any overall battle plan. Which is why we have victory points. Yeah, or victory locations instead right. of you know any other alternative. Yeah, I mean you have those in board games too. I mean I yeah. I, I so yeah I I just I want to. Ralph, I really, I really want to hear more about you know what you, 
you've been working on this game for a while and, and, and you know, talk more about what you've done and how you've seen, how you think that you've, you've improved the game since, since you got a hold of it. Um, well, like I said, I've done a lot with the interface. I mean, it now has pop-up toolbars. You can do it. It's a bit of a kludge, but you can actually play it full screen, so you're not playing with the little icons on the bigger monitors we've got now, the high-definition ones. Um, recently, with the 3.4 patch, we put in uh, a whole new supply model, where the, the old supply model was basically done by steps. We had four levels of supply. Mm-hmm. We, we've changed that, so now it's a, a continuous one based upon based upon wheeled movement instead of being based upon just an arbitrary distance um, step function. Okay. So it's steps in what sense? What do, you, what do you mean steps? Well, before you had 100 percent, 75 percent, 50 percent, or 25 percent of supply. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That, was that based on distance from supply points? Based on distance of, from supply points and whether you were on a railroad or a mm-hmm. normal road or open terrain. Okay. Ba- basically based on that. And now it's from a supply point based upon how f- what what distance a wheeled vehicle could travel from that from that supply point. And do you think that improves the game? I think it makes it a lot more understandable because you don't have to remember. Oh, hey, I've got. You know, this function for supply that I have to remember where if I'm on a road, but I'm on a hill, and if I'm within five hexes of the road, you've got a lot less to remember because you're using the same rules for supply that you are for movement. Okay. Uh, The other piece I've added, which isn't, I don't think many scenarios are using it yet, but it's uh, the ability to do variable supply points. Uh, Explain that. I mean that you can say that, oh, I, uh, this event occurred, so I now want to create a supply point here um, at 50% of normal supply. Uh, some event happens, so now I want to give that supply point 75% of normal supply. Oh, previously starting uh, supply points were, what, 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 what supply points existed in the, at the start of the scenario were kind of what you were stuck with? They were what you were stuck with, and they were always... All of them gave the same amount of supply. Of supply. Okay. So you okay. That, that would be that would be a rather huge change. In certain scenarios, in certain scenarios it wouldn't matter, right? Right. Right. But but it does open up a lot of of scenarios to be played. I think a lot or designed a lot better. Okay. I have a whole bunch of questions about well, uh, this philosophically, but I think well, Ralph actually, and I are totally on different sides of this. Go ahead, uh, Rob. Well, I just have a couple questions about you know the ongoing support. So. You know, when I when I loaded up the game, I was I was really stunned to see high resolution operational art of war. Uh, it really caught me off guard. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, it looks it it, it looks great for, compared to uh, it's, it's compared to sort of the blocky. Uh, you have to squint at it to see and see it in the window. Uh, old operational art of war, but I'm curious. Um, you know how how the ongoing support works is this. You know, is this something that you know the the Toad team has kept staffed? Is a lot of it volunteer work? Um, you know, how much, uh, you know, how much does Matrix throw behind, uh, you know, these extensive patches for you know an, an increasingly old game? Um, they're they're pretty much all done by fans. Um, as as far as any artwork or the translations we have or everything else is all done by the fans. I, I was really lucky to inherit a game which has a a huge loyal fan following. 
And in this case, somebody um, basically wrote me and had taught, asked me if I could add something called alpha, uh, which lets you basically allows for see-through units, see-through things like the clouds, so you can see through them. And that's that's probably what took uh, most of the of the time in this last patch was was my coding that, and then him actually coding up the whole the whole high-res graphics set. Which took, you know, probably thinking 120 hours or more just of his personal time. Probably more than that. But it's it's pretty much all all fan based. Now, I mean, I don't know if you're at liberty to discuss it, but do you do you see uh, updates to the game driving any sort of sales? Does it, does it sort of keep the operational art of war as a current relevant war game? Um, I think it does. I, I I saw a sales spike with the last with the last patch released. Definitely, and the the added press and the extra attention definitely helps. We were discussing earlier of, of how the how the game sort of, you know, going back to Bruce's criticism, how how the game sort of builds builds up the scenarios, builds up armies by trying to break them down to their smallest constituent components, and then the scenario sort of it's would you say it's like designed by accretion? Well, what I'd like to say is that that because you have because you can look all those details up, um, you don't have to invent them, and you can start with a historical order of battle and and historical data, and then from there modify it so it's actually a fun scenario instead of being instead of having to start from scratch with basically arbitrary um, strengths or, or however else you would do it. I think that's Bruce's point. I don't think he's saying, I think he's arguing, and don't put the words in Bruce's mouth here, that you know, adding the constituent parts is also arbitrary. You're it's all arbitrary. Saying, you're this saying whole that thing is arbitrary. There's nothing. Yes. There's nothing. There's nothing factual about anything that's in the game. It's just it's it's that particular arbitrary decision that the game's going to be modeled off of these elements. Yeah, and that the, that the that the equipment equals truth is pretty much right. the the thing that comes down to for Koger, or at least in this design, and that is certainly an arbitrary definition of what makes the strength of a unit. I mean, it's not like you know other war games don't research orders of battle. It's not like you're building a Napoleonic war game and had you know stealth bombers in it. I mean, people right. are going to have you know historical orders of battle in an historical war game, and I don't think that makes. I don't think that's what makes operational of, or of war, which I like very much. I don't think that is what makes it a good war game. Um, it is, you know, some of the other stuff. I think the flexibility of the scenario design um, is actually quite important and powerful in many ways. But I don't want to say that's less arbitrary uh, because you are, you know, making... Dark Koger's design does come right out and say at the very beginning if you have this many tanks and this many rifles your combat factor is going to be this and it could be wrong and it could be and it could be wrong um, because for one reason or another but the math is there Um, and there's no way of tweaking it to have well for um, you know leadership or exhaustion before the battle well you can do it before the battle you can have you can have things set as unready, or something. Um, so there's a lot of some. There's you're going to be making some arbitrary, fuzzy decisions no matter what. Um, so I don't think that's necessarily um, better or worse. I think it might be wrong, but I'm not necessarily sure it's better or worse. 
but but these are all like little building blocks of the scenario and i mean yeah you know the 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 problem with the you know the problem and and the glory to a degree of the operational art of war is that you're really down to you're really at the mercy of the scenario designer and mm -hmm. it's really a grab yeah. bag uh you know even in the box copy it's a grab bag of scenario quality and you know there are there are scenario designers who I strongly suspect have through you know playtesting have managed to work around the odd outcomes that using this mathematical model can produce. You know where you know you put in the correct order of battle and everything is historically accurate, and yet the battle on the macro level isn't working out right. And I think there are scenario well, it, designers who sort of right. work around that. And, and I when think you, you say have to. when you say it doesn't work out right, that means it's being empirically proven to be incorrect. Right? If you put everything in. And from a you know from a quantitatively correct standpoint, and then you play the scenario in a historical way, and it doesn't work out at all, uh, then I think I think that's sort of empirical evidence that you're yeah, not. Maybe, maybe Von Mulka just got a bad dice roll. He missed right. his stealth yeah. check or something. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think we're in danger though of also conflating like you know historical fidelity with quality i mean ultimately we're, we're no no we're not we're not at all i think the the assertion was made earlier in the podcast that uh that you know this freed the 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 um freed the designers from having to make arbitrary decisions and i i want to make as clearly as possible my 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 uh objection to that statement that this is all arbitrary and that you know the whole the whole enjoyment or I think the skill in design is to make to take a historical in war games is to take a historical situation make it play with you know plausible historical outcomes yet have each side have to make uh, you know interesting decisions and have each side have you know uh, you know a reasonable chance of victory in whatever way you know you define victory in that in that uh, in that scenario, and I I mean I think there are plenty of operational war scenarios that that do that. Yes. Um, that and and are you know and I really enjoy playing. I don't think that it has you know, I, but I don't think that this this sort of quantitative uh, approach to you know building uh, to building a game is in any way you know um, you know scientifically or mathematically. Uh, uh, you know, superior or even you know reasonable in a lot of cases. I think that you have to you're going to have to make arbitrary decisions in order to actually get the game to play the way that you want to play. Is it just me, or does a lot of the quality of a operational art of war scenario come down to the scale at which yes. it's set? Yes, absolutely. If it's it has a sweet spot. It has mm -hmm. a sweet spot that you really have to hit as a designer. And I think a, one of the great attractions and. You know, Ralph talked about this, is, and as did Bruce. You you can create pretty much any damn thing you want, any scenario, any scenario, in any situation, in any country, in any era between what uh, the World War One and the modern era. And it's wonderful, and it's deep, and it's beautiful, and it's glorious. And you have all these idiots trying to create, you know, the entire Western Front of World War Two. Um, so the scale gets too big and it breaks down entirely, or you do these really small mini scenarios and nothing seems to work right. right. Uh, so there's it's finding that you know nice sweet spot. I mean, uh, Julian Murdoch, who was here, was supposed to be here, but just didn't have the time to play the game. He asked me the other night, you know, what should I be playing? What scenario should I play to figure mm -hmm. this game out? Mm -hmm. And it was like, and I said, you want to do one of the 1914 scenarios. You want to do the invasion of Belgium. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I think that's got a good proper scale. The map's a good size. I think you know the combat factors aren't really way off because the equipment's pretty similar from one side to the next. Mm-hmm. And I th- I think it's a beautifully balanced scenario with designed because it's all about time and all the best scenarios in Operational Art of War use that turn counter relentlessly and you really have to push the time to decide you know when do you make your drive mm-hmm. and that's where the scenario design skill comes in it's not in looking up the order of battle and the troops in the right place it's in deciding how much time do I give the player to achieve the objectives that I have set out I think at the right scale it can work, and with the right time it can work. And I think there's this gigantism. You see it in, you see it in a lot of professional strategy game designers too, but more especially in the amateurs. You see it in mods. You see it in war game design from amateurs. This they want to do everything. They want to make it huge. They want to make it spectacular, and it just becomes a bloody mess. Yeah, which is think- why I think War in the East is such a great game. One of the reasons I think it's such a great game. Because right. it has this. Yeah, go go ahead. Expand on that. So it just, I mean, that that is a game where a very, they decided they were going to model one thing, which was the war in the, you know, the Russian front, and... Yes, one very small thing. Well, one, one specific, <laughs> sorry, one very specific thing. It, but everything that they, every design that they, did I say small, I meant specific. No, no, you, you didn't, but I mean, that's... Okay. You didn't say right. small, but okay. it's not like it's a small thing they're trying to right. simulate. But, it's a huge, but the point huge is scale. that it's very specific. They said, "Look, yeah. this is what we're going. We're making a game about the Russian front. We're not making a game about the Western front." And that's actually something that you know when we had that podcast, which well, I really couldn't ask any questions because uh, you know we that's not the kind of podcast that was going to be. Um, the uh, they mentioned that they want to you know translate this to the to the uh, Western front. And uh, you know, make a link to link the whole thing. I think it's a terrible, terrible idea. But uh, if if you could focus on one thing and say, look, how does everything in this game relate to this situation? How, you know, a, a Heinkel, you know, HE one eleven bomber might act differently on the on the Russian front than it acts in the Battle of Britain, right? So forget about how it acts in the Battle of Britain. Don't try to quantify how this piece of equipment behaves in general ask the question this situation that I have how does this element interact with it and that's that's what I really think is good game design and you have to put yourself in a position to make those kind of choices by limiting what you're going to to model and I think that war in the, what War in the East does which no Barbarossa scenario that I've ever played in Operational Art of War did was actually have plausible uh, historical um, outcomes because I think the, I think the supply model, the old supply model anyway, the one that I would played in, in uh, when I was playing the original game. I have the the original manual sitting here, by the way, that I pulled out and realized that it probably was a bad idea to read that thing rather than the, the PDF <laughs> manual. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm never giving it up because that thing's printed. Yeah, exactly, that, exactly. I wanted I wanted to flip through it while I was playing, right? And I couldn't do that. But uh, but anyway, but my my point is that. Uh, the the game War in the East really plays that plays the Russian front really well. I have no idea how it would play on the Western front, and I hope to never find that out. I, if I hope that if they make a Western front game at that scale, that they completely change all their design parameters and really approach it from okay, now we're making a Western front game. But um, uh, you know, 
that's that's you know that's a huge advantage and i think that's that's i mean it almost seems i mean this seems like facile analysis to me because it just seems obvious that if you're going to try to make a war game that models everything with this, this with this same basic uh uh, mathematical setup that you're you're gonna it's gonna all there are all sorts of places where it's gonna break down. Um, I think there, like you guys said, and I, I'd love to hear what Ralph thinks about you know where he thinks the game works best because there are places where where it really I think it really is a good war game. Yeah, what do you think the strengths are of the Operation Art of War model? Um, the the strengths are probably around World War Two to Korea. Um, at that. What ten kilometers or so per hex, right around that scale. Uh, what what unit size do you think it works really well with? I'm trying to think uh, ten kilometers per ten kilometers per hex. Like, what am I pushing around the board at that point? Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm not sure. Ten kilometers, you're going to be have like ten uh, ten kilometers per hex. So you're like, gosh, that's gonna that's gonna be regiments or divisions probably, right? I would think so. Yeah. Ten kilometers rather than ten miles. Yeah, probably. It's, you're al you're almost at the regimental level there. I would think. Oh, depending on the situation, of course. I mean, that's yeah. It's right. kind of hard to say. Um, but uh, there's so many of these scenarios in Operational Art of War that that are too big and they just don't work. And uh, like and just like Troy said, there are also ones that are that are really small. And I think that they're that the game doesn't work at the almost tactical level either. But. Uh, um, but that's that's the then that's the problem with giving people a tool set like this because uh, everybody wants to see a giant recreation of you know World War Three. I want to see that, right? <laughs> I mean, I want to see you know well, there, Norway too. Excuse me. Go ahead. There's even a 19th century mod, right? And someone did the entire American Civil War. Well, there's a ton of 19th which, century yeah. scenarios. Which, which, yeah. I, which I did by... I played that by email once with a really? good friend. Uh, the, uh, the Civil War scenario. Oh, my God. Did it work forever. at all? Not really well, no. It was a complete disaster. It was the stupidest thing I'd played in a long time. Mm. It was well, fun because, you know, I was playing with a friend, so, you know, we could make fun sure. of it as we played. Uh, but, I mean, it's not something I would certainly recommend, running around with different muskets and right. brown besses or whatever. And that, but that's yeah. not the game's fault, right? It's not. It's no. not. It's no, not. That, the, it's not normal. Well, Corbin's I mean, fault it, it is because in, it's not Ralph's fault, but you know, because you know, communists' fault. Because they or had. Because you know, because the, the game had this math in it, had these weapons in it, for you know, yeah. primitive armies and the outset. So people just said, "Oh, well, then we just take the armies and give them this," right. because some of the scenarios go back to the Balkans, I guess. I guess maybe some units in the Balkans were still having muskets and the like. So you right. could have, so it had, you know, horses, it has cavalry, it has all of this stuff. Right. So someone sees this stuff, and it adds, it's not the game's fault. No, I mean, absolutely, you know, the designer, the, the amateur designer made a bad choice. And I'm not going to, because, you know, people should not have these tools, because, you know, this is how, this is how people learn. Um, this is how good there are good game designers. There are good amateur designers. And there are bad amateur designers. And I say you want to give. I'm in favor of giving people all the tools to learn. I just think that so many people don't think about what they're building. Um, well, but, but I don't I, want to blame. I don't want to blame the fans. I want to sound like I'm, I hate war gamers. People already think I hate war gamers. Uh, they well, do. But this is. But this is another. But this is another way that the game is great, right? Like the yeah. operational art of war provides. You know, it it provides us a frightening window into the secret <laughs> desires of war gamers. Which I think the frightening window is was uh, was long since been opened and aired out. Which is that you know gamers really want 
really, if they could, they just like giant games with because they want a lot of stuff, right? I mean, that's what that's the whole thing. They want a lot of things. That's the that's the the immersion factor. Is that well, you're simulating the whole the simulating a whole front or simulating a whole theater, and that everything is that everything is in the game somehow. Well, it's also the illusion that you know size equals choice. You give them a whole lot of things, and they have more choices right. and more options sure. to win the war. Um, and that's you know, not actually the case. You know, ch- sure. ch- choices and decisions come from other places beyond size. Right. But you know, people are not going to say they're idiots, but they just don't think well, what makes a good game. Well, uh, but uh, or, or, I think or what that, makes okay. a good scenario. But here's here's where Rob, so I want to I want to totally retract what I said to Rob earlier, where he said the game was a tool set, and I said no, it's a game. So in that sense. It is a tool set, and basically I think people can make games, or sorry, make scenarios just because the part of their interaction with history is the creation of the scenario. Yes. Whether it in fact plays that well or not may not ultimately matter to them that much, which is fine. I mean, that's, yep. that's, that's yet another way that war gamers want to, want to uh, interact with history in ways that other people don't, and that's... Uh, it's great that they have that outlet to do that. I mean, I've never been driven to make a scenario, uh, you know, th- with all the with all the you know effort that that entails. But uh, have you ever made a scenario in any game, Bruce? Uh, I've tried to make a scenario in 1960, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Just you know, with well a different a year, different presidents, but that's. <laughs> Let's go. So back to the game. So, see, where's the birth certificate variant of 1960? Yeah, I see. There you go. There you go. So, um, Ralph, I mean, how mu- here's another question I have for Ralph. How much do you program the game versus how much do you play the game? Do you ever play the game? Because do you ever pull out the Operational Art War and say, hey, uh, I feel like playing some Operational Art War today? Because at some point you did, right, before you were working on the game. Oh, yeah. Well, I still do sometimes. Uh, especially when I'm trying to program the the AI to work better, uh, mm-hmm. be- because you have to for that. But that's um, work. But that's work. Do you play it for fun? You dig into a scenario and say, "I just want to go and, you know, burn Berlin to the ground." <laughs> Actually, I do sometimes. Not as much as I'd like. I just don't have the time. But yeah, I do. So um, is, is there? You know, is, what's your, what's your what's the game you play for yourself? For myself, it's probably the, there's Road to Rimini, which is interesting. Um, the tutorial scenario, believe it or not, and Aerocourt are probably the three at three I play the most. Oh, those are, those are your, those are the scenarios you you tend to you tend to go to. Yeah. Yeah. Really? I mean, you're still you're, you're still playing a lot of Aerocourt. I mean, it's a it's a <laughs> you know it's a really small scenario. It's a, it's a cool scenario, but it's. Yeah, it's it's a very it's a very fast, uh, fierce fight between, you know, a couple mechanized formations in 1944. Um, yeah, I mean that's just that, that's just one that you go back to. What, what about what is it about that scenario that that holds your interest? Uh, probably the fact that I can pull it out, play it in about 15 minutes, and try different things. You know, it's it's not a long scenario. I can I can play it very quickly and have fun with it. Do you use that as like a test bed too a lot for the changes you're making? Yeah, yeah, it's also a test bed, but it's also I find it fun to try to figure out ways um as the Germans to 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 win. So when you when you're not playing the operational art of war for fun and profit, uh I mean 
you know what 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 are what are your current wargaming influences? What you know, what have you moved on to? Um, I'm trying to think what I'm doing for war wargaming right now. I've got a couple of strategy games. Um, Frozen Synapse is, is is a tactical one, which is interesting. Yeah, we we, we love Frozen Synapse. Big fans of it on this show. That's that's a very cool, very cool game. Is it is it out yet? Almost. Uh, soon, and now Matrix is publishing it. Yes. Cool. Yeah, that, that's why I just discovered and I've been playing a lot. Uh, as far as other war games, I, I've tried them, and I don't know, for, for me, Operational Art War is just nice and simple to play, and I just keep coming back to it. You know, that that, that kind of touches on, on one of the reasons that I'm so fond of it, too, is... You know, as as forbidding as it looks, it was actually one of one of my first one of my first war games. It was something that I understood. I was able to pick up very quickly and understand on an intuitive level. Even yeah. if that manual, you know, every time I opened the manual, I was finding out something new that explained why something else got screwed up the last time I played. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so what is it? What what is it that the operational art of war does that that holds your interest after all these years and the fact that you now work on it professionally? Uh, what's the operational art, art of war doing that, yeah, you know, the current generation of its uh, of games in that vein aren't? Uh, for for me, it, it believe it or not hides most of the details, so that that at a basic level you can play it by grabbing the chips, and especially with the patch, uh, basically just grabbing them, dragging them to a new location. Um, playing it pretty much as a board game, just going by the numbers on the chits, without having to dig into all the details and all the, well, do you want to make this type of attack or that type of attack or, or all the details that you do with some of the others I've seen, where, where yeah. they seem to do these overly complex interfaces when 90% of the time I want to do just this one thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really a, a drag-and-drop war game. Um which is great, and it's simple, and it's easy, and it's... Uh, I mean, it wasn't one of my first war games, but it's certainly one that I could play and understand very, very quickly. Um, as much as I love, love, love War in the East, you know, understanding, you know, the air rules and the railroad rules and all of this stuff is actually quite a bit of work. Um, and it's not like uh, some of the... Um, killer games, where you have to understand what is the posture, and why is the MIF movement, why to do this to move, and this to attack, and none of this makes any sense at all, uh, interface-wise. Um, the drag-and-drop of uh, Operation Art of War is, I mean, it's impossible not to get. Um, you just to look at the numbers and see which one's higher, and then you can coordinate your attacks, and etc., etc. So I have a question for, for Ralph. If you, if you really don't want to see the details, why does it matter that they're there? Wouldn't you rather have somebody design a game where, once again, all you saw were these general numbers, but it worked better? Um, that define work better. Um, Gives you, you a know, more plausible historical outcome with better choices to make. Be, um, well, I mean, in that case, yes, but that's not necessarily going to happen. But what if, the I person's... Mean, but the person's going to have to do all the research anyway. It's just that then he's going to assign arbitrary numbers, and I'm never going to know how he's assigned them. So why do you care? Because, to me, it adds a lot of flavor. It gets more the, the RPG element. 
where I can see that, okay, I had this battle and I had this many troops were killed, this many were were sent into reorganization, and, and this is what happened to, to the different, um, to my so, troops. So it's an immersion issue. Yes, yes, oh, it is for me. Okay, that's. I mean, that's that. That's okay. That that's a that's a reasonable answer. I mean, that's uh, reasonable. It's not. It's not up to me to decide what's reasonable. I mean, I, everybody's opinion is. That's. I'm not trying to be judgmental. What I'm saying is, it, it's an honest question because it's important to the people identify what they like about certain things. And 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 I get the sense from a lot of people when I ask them these questions, they're like, well. Because you know, because the T thirty four is in there, because the you know they they made it, they put a number on it, and 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 people equate that with some kind of historical veracity and yeah. yeah, and scientific, you know, uh, you know, scientific fact, like that because somebody called because somebody put more numbers into some some element of simulation, it's therefore more correct, and and. That I think is a complete fallacy. Now, if simply seeing that you had twelve Panzer threes knocked out when you took some objective, and that makes you enjoy the game more, fine. That's it's not for me to say. You know why people? I mean, I'm to some extent. You know, I find that interesting. I don't. I don't assign as much importance to a. You know, to a to those kind of details from an immersion standpoint, because I'm I don't quite uh, you know I enjoy games a little bit for, from a from a from a different perspective, but that's fine. But I, I really really totally disagree with this idea that because you make a game modular and assign numerical values to the elements of your modules, that you're somehow more uh, you know scientifically or mathematically accurate, because you're completely not. Now, Bruce, give me. You're the guy who wrote the thing on the jeeps, right? What? The hundred jeeps versus the tiger? No, are you kidding me? I okay, know. see, they were, they, no, Troy was telling me this last week. I, I thought, thought this like, was you. I thought this was you. I, I, I was, I, I was so excited when I heard that because that's like crazy wargaming legend. No, I'm not. No, you're exciting that to me. No way. I just referred to it in, oh, in, okay. in a recent game. Uh, in my game, no, absolutely not. Okay, I, I thought that I was you. Not, for, some, for some reason, I thought that was you. No, I am not the author of that. That, uh, <laughs> that was that was Bruce's alt account. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> no, that's that's something. That's yes, it is. That is a wargaming legend, but it was not me. I was not involved. The only, uh, the only uh, thing that may have confused you, Troy, is that I referred to it uh -huh, in that my may game be diary for. Or actually, for my my review of War in the East for a quarter to three, which started out my game. No, I think I read it on something you wrote on Games Domain way back. I may have I wrote an article about that. I did write an article about it for Games Domain, but once again, I was not the person that found it. I was the person uh -huh. who I was I was simply a commentator. I was like the the Barry Melrose of you know wargaming at that point. Yeah, we should just talk about this because I really don't think you can talk about yeah. the Operation sure. of War yeah. and not get to the. Hundred Jeeps versus the Tiger Tank, and what that says about the game and war gamers. Um, so, so Bruce, you want to want to break down what we're talking about here for the well, listeners? <laughs> yeah, I can. I mean, this is completely from memory. I would, I would have, if I had known we were going to talk about it, I, sh I should have gone and looked it up since I probably should have thought it was going to come up. I mean, it, it simply it was it was a it was uh, a, the outcome of some. Fans or non-fans or people who were playing Operation Order War, uh, you know, were investigating the the results of 
of certain uh, of a battle and why it worked or didn't work and then they started pitting individual uh you know they're trying to decide whether this model actually was 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 uh how it was working and so they pitted you know a squad or a, you know an element of so many of this against so many of that and they got some result where you know i think i thought it was like a hundred jeeps versus like 10 10 tigers or 100 100 jeeps versus 50 tigers or something but i i'm i'm I was corrected that it was 100 jeeps versus one tiger tank, which, fine. Uh, I, I don't know how those jeeps were armed, whether they had machine guns, whether they were just jeeps, uh, whether, you know, they flashed their lights at the tank and then it got blinded and ran over a cliff or something. They kamikaze to... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't... I, I really I really don't know. But they uh, won. Right. So the, the, the 100 jeeps beat the, I believe, and I'll, I'll, for the purpose of the podcast, I'll go with the one tiger tank. Uh, there will be a link to some of it somewhere uh, at the bottom of the somewhere podcast. at the bottom of the podcast. Although I, when I was doing the when I was doing the um, uh, when I was doing my review of War in the East for quarter to three, I actually went. I actually researched this a little bit on Google. Not not so much because it wasn't uh, uh, you know it was just a throwaway comment, and I just wanted to make sure that I, it had actually happened, and I hadn't dreamed it, or it was you know, some hallucination <laughs> I'd had. And I, you know, I found some references to it on the on the on the internet. One of which was mine, so I figured, therefore, it has to be true. So, um, uh, I, I don't know the the all the all the details exactly, but um, well, but I think that that go ahead. What were you saying? What I remember is once people prove that that could happen, mm-hmm. I remember what the the next step was for a few wargaming forum communities to basically melt down over the issue. Because well, there, there was already sort of hostility toward the operational art, how's right? Surprising, yeah. Yeah. Well, yes, they had, and there was the there was the famous war gamer review of of operational art of war to which Norm Coger felt he had to respond, and I don't want to get into that whole thing because that's such a train wreck. Um, I I didn't I actually think Norm's response was quite reasonable to that review. Um, I, I mean, <coughs> I really I really have this all gets to my sort of philosophical opinion about what you know what the game means and why um I, I just I have such a I have such an aversion to and 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 as a scientist and a physician I am in no way uh hostile to um you know to math science uh scientific method experimentation empirical evidence or the desire for things to be quantitative uh when you make decisions about them so I want to put that out there. However, I feel that people in gaming equate quantitation with veracity. And I, I, I will argue to the end of my you know, involvement in war games and probably after that, that making a game where you say that the, you know, Desert rats have five attack factors and seven defense factors in a given situation is no more uh, arbitrary than taking the desert rats and assigning individual numbers to individual elements of their equipment, morale, training, uh, you know, um, 
every every element of of that unit. Well, because and, then you've just pushed the arbitrariness right. back, right? You, well, because you just, you've just made it more granular, right? Right. Now, there are advantages to doing that. I there mean, that's are. that's one of the strengths of the system is that it empowers the scenario designer to sort of figure out how he wants to model a scenario, how he wants to model a battle. But you're just changing. You're just changing the 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 arbitrary. The elements in which the game designer has to insert himself in an arbitrary fashion, right? And I, I totally get the immersion factor. Like, hey, this this unit has so many of all these different types of 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 tanks. And when I was playing War in the East, I would occasionally I, I actually tested myself. I would start the game and I would start playing, and then I'd be like, huh, I wonder how many, uh, you know, any tank guns this Panzer Division has. And then I would click on it, and I would think, wow. I just don't care. That does nothing for me. I it I have no interest in clicking on the uh, the table of organization and equipment for any particular unit at any time during the game if it's not going to give me a specific if it's not going to give me some insight into into a decision that I'm going to make that I wouldn't have otherwise. And the great thing about War in the East is that it's not because you pretty much have all the all the information that you need from other from other places. Okay? So uh, so I totally get the immersion factor for some people, and I'm not even—I don't want to criticize that. I mean, that's that's not that's people like what they like. Exactly, perfect. But people like what they like. But to to argue, make sure, that, make sure you're liking it for the right reason. Right. It's because it's not it's not because it's 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 not better from a from a simulation standpoint. Often it's worse because now you're just giving the game more places to break down. And I think that. When you tweak games by saying, "Okay, now I've put all this stuff, I've put all this in the mix, and now let's see how the game works," and then you play it, and it doesn't work out the way you would think, or you know, the the Germans uh, are able to uh, invade England and you know capture Edinburgh in one turn and uh, sink the entire you know home fleet, uh, you know, in a week, then obviously there's a problem. So. If you start, if you take that base, the basic system that you've 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 started with, and just start tweaking it to get the right result, I would argue that that's that's exactly the same as making you know arbitrary decisions from the get-go about how you assign values to units. And all you've done is just leave a whole bunch of detail in there to to for for immersion purposes. There, that's my rant for the week. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so, Ralph, are you just working on this, or do you have any, your, any game design thoughts of your own? Do you want to break out into your own game? Um, probably. Actually, no. I, I mean, I'm I'm actually happy with this game. I'm happy with the scale. My, my real love is artificial intelligence. So once I get this game where I want it to be, being able to to concentrate on getting the AI to where it is, to where... I mean, I, I would actually like to be able to play one of these ridiculously big scenarios within my lifetime. <laughs> so, is th is Which, that your that's your goal? Is that's because that's very interesting. So, so you would y your your uh, main focus is trying to get the AI in the game to uh, to work better than it do do you think it it would be uh would, would you be okay making an ai that was able to play a certain scenario or are you really focused on getting the ai as a system to work better i'm i'm gonna, I'm gonna hedge and say both i mean i really want the ai to be to where the designer 
is going to be able to guide it to play appropriately for that scenario. Okay. Now, okay. what sort of tools does the scenario designer have right now to sort of set the table for the AI to play a scenario? Um, right now, they're fairly simple. You can set formations or set objective points for each formation, and you can give it a basic stance, whether it's advancing, retreating. I think there are about seven or eight different stances you can give it. Um, but that's, that's the basic level that it is at right now. As you're working on this, what sort of tools are you trying to build into the game? What I want to get to eventually is yeah, end up having uh, add, uh, some kind of an organizational hierarchy so that you're not just moving around little formations but bigger ones and uh, assigning fronts and doing some of the, the bigger things like that instead of just per formation. And, and having the AI actually understand when it's overextended, when it's overextended, and you need it to be overextended because you need to take this objective to be able to complete your your mission, um, to, to be able to give it that type of intelligence and the designers that kind of choice. I mean, that that's where I'd like to be one day. It'd take a long time, though. So, is there ever any talk about doing another one of these games? Um, I, I definitely plan to... Right now, the plans are I'm working on a 3.5 patch, um, and then probably go on to the next game, which is going to be, you know, very similar to to this game, but with a completely revamped user interface, totally brought into the into the 21st century. Oh, so th there's probably going to be a fourth operational art of war. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Well, we'll look forward to it. I want to yes. well, ask everybody. What your if you so every for the for the listeners who are not playing Operational Art of War, there's a patch on the uh, Makers Game site uh, which updates it with uh, Ralph's excellent work to uh, the most recent version, uh, which will play full screen. Thank God, uh, which previous patches wouldn't do for me under Windows Seven. And it, and it zooms in beautifully. Yeah, it's just really nice. It's really nice. Um, yeah, it's a it's a first class piece of work. The updates. Yeah, nice work, Ralph. Um, the uh, so. If you if you want to jump in, you can get the game and patch with Ralph's latest patch. Or if you still if you have the game and haven't touched it in a while, you should get Ralph's latest patch. But I want to know for the for people who are going to sit down with the with the game because uh, the uh, opinion of uh, opinion uh, generator three moves ahead, the the leading edge of war game opinion uh, told you to. Uh, what scenarios you, what would we suggest that uh, people play? Pick one. Everybody gets to pick one. I have already said, you know, Invasion of uh, France, 1914. Okay. going to be mine. Hang on. Is that what it's called? Cause it's, I don't it's, know. I forget what it's called. You have to know what it's called. Well, no, you have to say, God, you I can't know. confuse the listeners. They're going to send you hate mail. They already sent me hate mail. Oh, okay, I, good point. And I forwarded to Rob. Because <laughs> there's, there's two Guns of August scenarios. One of them uh -huh. is good, and one yeah. of them you should stay the hell away from. Really? Yes. I, th I think it's one of those... I think it's the good one. Guy, Guns of August. That doesn't suck. Yeah, well, there, there are about four tutorial scenarios you can work through. Um, I'd actually, <clears throat> I'd stay away from the manual. I know that's going to sound silly, but it. I, I made the mistake the first time I tried of reading through the whole manual and trying to understand it before I played, and that set me back by a couple of years because that's just a, a ridiculous manual. The Operation Out of War manual? Yeah. 
It's just way too detailed to try to read and understand everything. It's a big, glorious manual, though, back when, you know, you had to read them. Yeah, They were great for commuting and airplanes and, you know, games <laughs> took days to install anyway, so... Oh. I I I pulled it out for this for this podcast just as a historical artifact. It's great. Look at this. Look at all the stuff. Yeah. So I yeah I said one of the 1914 scenarios. I'll look it up and I'll give it to Rob. He can put it in the post as well. Yeah, it's driving me a little crazy. I know the one you don't want to play is Home Before the Leaves Fall. Okay. Yes. Uh, you need to stay the hell away from that one because just let me let me tell you what this what this scenario is. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so you can. This is an example of what we were talking about with uh, scenario design. Um, the map scale is this is this is the invasion of France in 1914. Uh, it's the it's the entire western it's the entire western front basically, uh, five kilometer max uh, map scale one day turns down to the battalion level. So you know, I mean, how many how many battalions were invading? Uh, did the Germans send up against France? A lot. Yeah. Like I loaded the scenario. I mean, there are. You know, the the first turn was just gigantic, and the problem is it's it's one of those things where it, this is not a game that improves just because of like more granularity. Okay, okay, perfect. But yeah, we'll 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 have to find we'll have to find the good one, Troy. Yeah. So anyway, nineteen fourteen, one of those, but not home before the leaves fall. Okay, and uh, and Bruce Ralph says uh, tutorial scenario. Eric, yep. Yep. Or or you might think about Eric Court in the classic one. Mm-hmm. And um, there's an option to let Elmer move your units. It's a little mm-hmm. document on how to do that. Okay. And that—that's he doesn't play that scenario horribly. Um, so that's that's actually not a bad way to to get started and to see you know get some ideas to what why you're getting creamed. Uh, okay. wh- I, hang on. Why why do why do I why would I want uh, Elmer moving my units? <laughs> um. Well, that's, that's an experimental feature I've put in, a newer one, um, which basically, mainly for the large scenarios, is you can. The idea is that you can let the AI move some of your units while you move some by formation to let him take control of some of the less interesting ones. You can concentrate on the more interesting ones. It's more realistic. It's, well, it's, it's not nearly as friendly as I'd like it. Yeah, it is, it is more realistic. He's an idiot. Um, he he doesn't understand the big pictures. His biggest problem. And if you ask anybody that's an expert, they'll tell you he moves horribly. But I I found that he doesn't do too bad for some scenarios. Okay, I think I found it. By the way, it's just it's in the classic uh, TOAW folder. Uh-huh, uh huh. Okay. When you're looking up scenarios, yep. it's France 14. France 14. There we go. That's it. Perfect. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I played that um, a couple years ago. It remains one of the best World War One game. Like, I mean, I would have paid, yeah. I would pay money for that scenario alone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I was, I played it shortly after I read The Guns of August, and I'll tell you, like, this is, I mean, this is the power of great scenario design, right? Like, I'm playing the, I'm playing this. I had that magic moment where I'm playing the scenario and I'm trying to, you know, figure out how the hell I'm going to possibly make it to Paris on time, mm-hmm. and I'm facing the exact same dilemmas I was just reading about. You know, where turns out that we need heavy the heaviest artillery is the only thing effective at breaking, you know, heavy um, heavy defenses, and the Germans simply don't have enough of it to go around. So you got to be really judicious. It's it's a great scenario. Uh, so, your favorite, Bruce? 
Uh, it's not my favorite, but I think it's a, something that pay, uh, I think it's a reasonable scenario that uh, a player should can try is uh, Kazarine Forty Three. Ah, uh, why? Uh, does the it does the um, uh, time uh, element that you were discussing uh, extremely well? You made a very uh, insightful uh, comment about how uh, it uses the game uses the turn counter relentlessly, and uh, you have to be relentless in that scenario. I found, at least in my more recent playings of it. Maybe I just have lost all my skills. God, you know, a few of my favorite scenarios. I always liked uh, the Korea scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was a big fan of that. Um, I think it, I think it overstays its welcome a little bit, but it gets the it, Korea, it gets the early stages. Korea nineteen fifty or Korea two thousand. Uh, Korea fifty. Okay. Um, oh god, you've got to play. I think there's a Taipei scenario. Uh, somewhere somewhere in here, it's a Chinese invasion of Taiwan, and it covers uh, the action around yeah you know, the the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is just. It's one of these. It's one of those great asymmetrical battles, right? Where the the Chinese formations are all raw power, you know, heavy assault formations, mm-hmm. and your only prayer as um, you know the the Republic of China basically is to use high tech standoff weapons to just blast the hell out of these stack these stacks of um, uh, Chinese units. Um, it's just it's a, it's a really cool mismatch. It is a tough scenario from both sides, and I mean it is bloody. It is short and beyond fierce. Hmm. Um, and then I, you know, I mean, back in the day, I really liked. It's a single player only scenario, but I really liked the uh, Italian campaign scenario. That's like an, I think it's like a fifty or eighty turner. Um, but that's what I was into back then. Excellent. The thing, the thing one has to stay away from with the operational art of war is just you know, avoid anything too big. Um, anything that's trying, you know, anything that's trying to model an entire an entire front, it you know that you're getting into dangerous territory. And if, and it really starts to break down at the more the smaller scale it gets. You know, the the way it abstracts smaller level combat works really well when you're dealing with big formations. Mm-hmm. But man, beyond the battalion level, the, the game starts acting really strangely. I agree with you, but uh, all right. That, that, that's how we discussed earlier the sweet spot. I would say that this is a must-own game. Like you know, if you play war games at all, like if, this is this is one you really should own, just because there's so much in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one of the classic games that you know it's not even if you didn't own it, if you want to be a student of war games, you have to own this one because I think it is important whether you agree or disagree with the core concept underlying it or not. Uh, it has just such huge depth and such huge potential um, yes. out there that it's it's something you would even if it wasn't continually updated. This is a war game you have to own. With some of the battleground games and Sid Meier's Gettysburg, this one stands out as you know one of the. It's a classic. You have, it's like it's like the Sim City of war games. Mm-hmm. You got to have it um, right. if you're a serious war gamer. And with the updates, it's continually you know, a better game, a stronger game. Um, in so many important ways, especially in the AI, that yeah, if you're a serious war gamer, you have to have to have to own this in War in the East. Yes, yeah, I agree with you. This this was a game I'd gone a long time, you know, since I'd played it, and I mean, hats off to you, to you and your team, Ralph, because you know, you know, just playing it these last few days to get ready for the show. I mean, I had forgotten how much I love this this game, and I suspect that. I didn't love it as much as I find myself <laughs> loving it now. I think, you know, one of the reasons making this great impression on me is it is, you know, a markedly improved game uh, from the last time I played it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, I, 
I've got the bug again. I'm going back to uh, my Battle of the Marne scenario after we stop recording. Good. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, th- it's good. Nice job, Ralph. Really. Thanks for being here. Yes. Thank you for I've been, I know I've been wanting to get you on for a while, but uh, finally we got around to it. Yeah, well, thanks for inviting me. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, it's been a blast. And when you have news about Operational Art of War, you will come back, won't you? <laughs> sure, I'll come back. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, that'll do it for our show. Uh, my thanks to all of you for being here with me tonight. And as always, my thanks go to Michael Hermes for putting together this, for d- putting together production on this episode. And uh, I'll see you all next week. Good night, Bye, everyone.